Hello, and welcome to Going Off Track. Hello. My name is Steven. <laughs> my name is Jonah. <laughs> we are just kidding around, guys. I am Jonah. This is Brad. Hi. Steven is out working a gig. He's, you know, he's finally joined the CIA with Mike and Jimmy. It's true. I don't know where those guys are. I never know where they Afghanistan. are. Afghanistan. Probably Afghanistan. Steven would fit right in. <laughs> um, today on the podcast, we have Dan Soupy Campbell. The singer for the Wonder Years, who has a new concept album under the name Aaron West and the Roaring Twenties, called "We Don't Have Each Other," and uh, I saw I saw Dan play some of these songs uh, a couple nights ago. Um, this sort of private thing with free pizza we talk about, and it was cool. And then uh, he decided to come on, and we had a really interesting discussion about sort of the genesis of the solo project, fights, Chuck E. Cheese, the Warp Tour. All kinds of subjects that maybe you don't normally hear him talking about. Yeah. I have a list of, of notes of what we talked about, and it's pretty diverse. Yeah. It's pretty Working diverse. Working at Chuck E. Cheese, busking on the subway. Yeah. It's a good one. We cover all of it. There's some violence in there. There is. It kicks off with violence. There's like, yeah, there's ups, downs, there's violence, there's <laughs> love, there's uh, fiction, nonfiction. Justice. Justice. <laughs> um. It's all you want in a podcast yeah, more. Yeah, we tackle some big issues on this one. So, um, yeah, you should definitely check out Dan's doing, um, right now he's doing a bunch of in-stores and stuff, which he talks about. So if he's coming to your town, you should definitely check out this project. And then, obviously, check out The Wonder Years, um, which is still his main thing. And, uh, yeah, and let's ch- check out his podcast. Check out his podcast, yeah. The day this is coming out, I guess this is going to be early July. So also wanted to say that the record for my band, United Nations, comes out July 15th. Ooh. And it is streaming right now somewhere. Um, I'm not sure if I can say where yet. I don't think we're announcing it, but it might be just type in United Nations streaming, and you can probably find it. If you don't get, if it hasn't been taken down by the UN, yeah, cease and the desist UN hasn't taken effort. it down. <laughs> but uh, ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, Dan Soupy Campbell. Yeah, I just I I read that uh, I can't even remember who wrote it. It's 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 gonna sound st- it's it's the tipping point. It's the guy that writes oh, all Malcolm of those. Gladwell, Malcolm who Gladwell. I sometimes get mistaken for. Really, I think it's the hair because uh, I'm 30 years younger than him. Somewhere in there, it said something like the human brain is only actually like hardwired to remember like intimately remember 150 people or I don't remember if that was the number, but it was in that ballpark. And by remember, it meant you need to remember who they are and how they connect to you and how they interlock into your social structure. And I was like, damn, I'm way over that. Fuck remembering names. I guess like I subconsciously made that decision and now I'm markedly bad. I used to be really good with names. I just lost so long. I think it's been the hard drive theory that your brain's a hard drive and it gets full. It just has to like you have to erase data. I I think it's like just evolutionary. I think we're so used to being in like small tribes. Oh, it totally yeah. It it totally is. Well that's the Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. yeah. Um it's what actually is really helpful though and and it almost is tribal in the sense when you're touring you can go okay i remember all of these guys because i know they're all in citizen and then i know that the people in citizen are these names and that they play these instruments and it's really easy to ascribe like that's matt and that's eric and that's nick um because they're under this subcategory in your brain as citizen right that's how the schematic break them up into break them up into groups that you can then like that makes sense yeah it is it is a yeah, you just once you once you're doing stuff like that, you meet so many people. I just think 
Yeah, you can't remember all their names. Nope. Then there's freaks who do, right? And make us all look bad. Oh, yeah. Maybe like a total asshole. And they're like presidents of companies. Oh, we've met seven times before, actually. We met here (laughs) and here and here and in this town. And it's like, okay. Oh, that's my least favorite. Me too. That person. Oh, God. I'm really, I'm sorry. I am. It's not that I don't like you. I like you a lot. I just, the name is. It's just crazy. Like people stop pressing. So like, this guy probably knows who I am. Just pretending he doesn't. It's like, dude, are you serious? Mr. Fucking Big Shot. I had a guy outside of a, a show in Portland. He's like a sweet kid, nice kid, but he came up and was like, "Hey, remember me?" And I was like, "I'm really sorry, I don't." Man, he was like, "Warp Tour," and I was like, "Ah, you know, it's it's so hot out there, and it's a whole summer." And he was like, "Come on, man, we hung out," and I was like. Did we at the Portland one? Because my uncle was in. He lives in Bend, and I spent all day with him. I think I would remember. He was like at the meet and greet. Like, really. <laughs> That wasn't, I mean, I'm glad to have met you, but it's a meet and greet. I shake your hand and sign your thing and we talk for 30 seconds, but. You, you hung out, man. That's, Dude, uh, it would be crazier if you did remember. If I was I'd like. Be, I would be more oh, freaked out. Like, what? Jeffrey, right? Man, how's the fire department? You're a volunteer firefighter, right? That's so valen- valiant of you. God damn. Really have a lot of respect for you, bro. Yeah, it is tough. Uh, today and going off track, we are joined by Dan. Oh, we've been recording? Campbell, yeah, we're recording. Is that like a secret thing always you guys do? Oh, we recording. always do. Yeah, yeah. Mostly shit. when we're shit talking. Uh, uh, we miss, we miss wh- too much. What do you prefer to be called? Dan or Soupy? I actually, I d- like weirdly don't have a preference. Okay. I find that people prefer to call me Dan most of the time. I think it sets them at ease a little bit. I feel like as someone who doesn't know you, Dan just seems like a more... Yeah, I have a weird uh, like dissociation with my name in the sense that like I was never Dan. No one called me Dan. Uh, my to my parents, I was always Danny, but that feels very like maternal and uh, and term of endearmenty. And to my friends from the third grade on, on, I was Soupy. That was when I got the nickname in the third grade. And to like, I guess culturally, I'm Soupy. People call me Soupy. But when I when the band started doing well, that almost became like a like a dissociated stage name to a degree, even though it isn't. My friends, all my close friends still call me Soupy. Uh, and then I was like, wow, I'm kind of like in my mid-20s. Soupy starting to feel like, you know, when I meet girls, I don't really... So I've been with my girlfriend for four years now and she's always called me Dan. And I was like, well, maybe I should go with Dan. But I have no attachment to it. I feel no like sense of self in the name dan you're in a great place you can make up a new name for yourself yeah you know what actually i'm gonna have to at some point because or i think i'm gonna have to because the thing with playing music is that at some point it's gonna crash and burn and i'll just (laughs) fall apart at your feet um (laughs) at some point like electro new jazz is gonna take off and this pop punk thing's gonna be dead and they like the acoustic indie rock thing's gonna be dead and i'm gonna be stuck uh, not stuck. I really want to do it, but I have a degree to teach, and I'm going to go back to teaching. But Professor, Soupy. I could imagine going to class, and be like, okay, kids, uh, who has their homework? And some kid will raise their hand, and be like, Mr. Campbell, I didn't do my homework. And I'm like, oh, Billy, why is that? Because like, instead, I uh, googled you, and <laughs> here are a bunch of YouTube videos of you fist fighting security guards. So I'm not going to do my homework ever again. And fuck you, <laughs> give me an A. So I think that I'm going to have to. Come up with a name to teach under so that that can't happen. Pseudonym. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so my name, my full name is Daniel Jason Campbell, 
and I've been thinking in a very professional wrestler sense, I might go with Jason Daniels. That's you know that it's sounds funny. like it's a exactly name, right? what I was gonna say. I was gonna suggest that. That sounds like a really real yeah. name, right? That's yeah. uh because Daniel Bryan, uh now former WWE champion, uh his actual name is Brian Danielson. Right. So But also there's a bit you know, you could try Googling Jason Daniels. And just see what happens there. It turns out it's a lot of hits. Yeah, it turns out it's a prominent neo Nazi. (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) I feel like your students are gonna be able to use their like Google Glass to like identify your facial. Oh yeah, it's gonna just lock everything you've Uh, ever done. God, you can't escape. You know what's weird? You're gonna have to get you're gonna have to get plastic surgery when you try. Yeah, dude. You know what's a weird thought? I had this thought the other day. How many years removed from high school are you guys? I'm I'm at ten years. This is my ten year reunion year. I'm at like sixteen. Right, your high school has a Wi-Fi network. Is that weird to you? Oh, it's yeah. weird to me that my high school, that everyone in the high school, and that kids probably take notes on their laptops. I remember just at the very end of college, people would read their books on their tablets. The very, very end, some people would do it, and everyone kind of looked at them weird. That's got to be everybody now, oh, yeah. right? What about having a cell phone? And like, I've never had like a smartphone and been like, there are times you can't use this. Yeah. Like, you can't use this. Like, oh, yeah. I'm an adult. But it's like, I can't imagine having this thing with everything in my pocket and having, like, a teacher, like, be like, no. Mm, no dice. <laughs> yeah, I had, uh, in high school, I had a little tiny, like, Nokia brick phone that had a teddy bear as the background. Uh, and But it was color, which was really impressive at the time. Um, I was on the cutting edge of technology with the color background on my phone. <laughs> so, uh... Let's talk about fighting security guards. Well, is, is that happened uh, more than once? That's happened a bunch of times. I got. I have a and thing. We can Google that on YouTube. You definitely. Can. <laughs> <laughs> I don't suggest it. It's. It always feels embarrassing later, uh, or most of the time. I just have this like fucking hatred of bullies, and uh, and people with this kind of false sense of authority or this abuse of authority. That's why pretty I, much sums up. Yeah, yeah it's guys. like it's the most punk thing about me. Uh, nothing else about me is punk. I'm currently wearing a polo shirt and J. Crew shorts. Um, but when I see a cop, I just get fucking mad. <laughs> and uh, and more than that, because at least I can understand that a cop is often doing something valiant. Um, valiant, valiant. I feel like there's. I feel like there's a valor. Oh, you have a lot. You have a lot more respect than I, not. Oh no, I have no respect until it's proven to me. Right, which is uh a thing, but I know that a lot of cops do have that, but then, and and I know that they've been given a sense of authority for a particular reason, and they had to earn that sense of authority through an academy and things, but like a mall security guard, fuck you. Right. That's how I feel about the TSA. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm so mad. Every time, you're just fucking smashing my guitar. But uh, (laughs) if I see a security guard being a bully, like really picking on the audience, I get very angry and it's kind of like a flash of red and my bass player has the same problem. And so there are many a video of the two of us jumping off stage and kind of getting in tussles. Uh, um, nice. And it sometimes can... It, there's a festival in Australia called Soundwave. A wonderful festival. A ton of fun to play. And we're on... It's a very big stage. And I saw a security guard who uh, was doing a very poor job kind of talking to his friend, laughing at people. Someone fell and they laughed at them. Like, over the top, was supposed to be caught. I saw him take a kid's sunglasses and throw them into the crowd off of his face for no reason. And in between songs, our friend Jess pulled me over and said that that same security guard, I must have missed it, when pulling a kid over, uppercut him in the stomach and then laughed about it with his buddy. 
Uh, and I was like, well, I haven't seen anything too violent yet, so we'll see. And then in the middle of the next song, there were two people crowd surfing to the front at the same time. And one security guard was catching the first person. And this second kind of asshole security guard kept trying to push the second kid back into the crowd, which uh, at its very core won't work. Right. Because you are one security guard and there are 4,000 people pushing this person forward. That's the inertia alone is going to... So eventually he gets frustrated because this kid keeps kind of bouncing back. And the kid's wearing a sweatshirt and he grabs him by the hood and he rips him off and doesn't catch him. The guy falls like eight feet probably. How tall are you? If, if you're six foot and your arms are up, what is that? Seven, That's eight feet? Like seven, eight feet for sure. Straight to the ground <laughs> on his head. And Jesus. red flashed. And then I next thing I know, I'm on the ground, but... From the stage, the security guard looked not much taller than me. <laughs> Once I got down there, I realized this guy's got six inches and 75 pounds of pure muscle on me. And I've already committed at this point. <laughs> so I'm fucking jabbing him in the chest and screaming at him. And I'm just waiting for the second where everything goes black because he punches me in the side of the head. And then I heard the the beautiful tone of my bass player's bass being thrown and him jumping down behind <laughs> me. And he's a much bigger guy. And I uh, had my back. And actually, that security guard fi- got fired for that. So wow. I really felt nice. But Good at the job. moment, I landed on the ground and was like, I'm so fucking dead. This guy's <laughs> going to literally knock my head from my body. I need to start remembering how small of a person I am. <laughs> a million kids are thanking you. Awesome. Literally one million. <laughs> a you, literal one million Have you kids. ever been punched in the face? I have. I haven't. And uh, I'm not saying I want to, but I yeah. feel like it's a part of life that like most people have experienced yeah uh you'll get there yeah <laughs> you'll get there something yeah. will happen this is probably the worst thing to say i'm sure it'll happen you like know, today yeah now it's, you're just waiting There's to walk some into things it you can you can go through life without experiencing it. it's not gonna be the worst thing in the uh world. depending upon where they get you and how they get you the worst is getting punched straight in the nose yeah that because you can't Chin do is bad or the, the job of yeah yeah terrible. but if you get hit button in the nose your eyes will well up no matter yeah, yeah, what yeah, yeah. and then you're kind of blurry eyed my my dad and my uncle when we were my my cousins three weeks older than me when we were kids they bought us like boxing gloves and every weekend they would just put us in the basement and just let us fight for a while not that we had any animosity we we were just having fun and we kind of like very rudimentarily taught ourselves not not that in, I'm in any way a good boxer or a legitimate fighter, but from that experience, I got punched quite a bit, <laughs> and, and that's that's the least my least favorite spot is a dead shot in the middle of the nose. Yeah, it's effective. I haven't been in a lot of fights, very few, but I've been punched once or twice. I think it's funny we didn't talk about this with like sick of it all or like any of the other bands we've had on. <laughs> no, here. yeah, right. And, and the thing is, I'm such an. I find myself to be like I'm. I'm more interested in. I never. I don't get in fights just walking around. Right. And I. I don't go to bar. I'm not like a bar fight guy. I've really never been in a, a real fight fight. But bullies really make me yeah, mad. Yeah. No, I. I'm with you, man. No, like, totally. Once you get a little bit of power up there on stage, it's good to bring a little justice to the situation. I don't know. I've really been trying to handle it more, like, uh, I don't know, peacefully and with more dialogue and being like, hey, man, don't do that again, please. Right. Uh, and just kind of see where that gets us. And that's been more effective. <laughs> <laughs> or calling them out. That's, that sometimes works, I guess. You know, having toured with a few bands where that would happen, 
more than other places. I think like the best way to deal with it is to have a really good road manager to go over and yeah, say, our tour manager does a lot of that now, and our guitar tech's really great with that as chill. well. You know, you get his boss to pull him out from the front, put him backstage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and like miscommunications happen, and like the guy wasn't actually doing something wrong, and I got really mad about you know, and I always feel bad, and there's. Mm-hmm. An awkward apology afterwards. And I've been really trying to tone it down. <laughs> really making a concerted effort. It's, it's a tough commitment. You're, and you're really bullies. amped up on stage. There's a lot of yeah, adrenaline. Exactly. And, Man, those kids are there to see you. You don't want them to get hurt. Yeah, well, I want to do my best to protect them. <clears throat> exactly. Speaking of toning it down, yeah. I saw you perform the other night. Yes. Toned down. I would Certainly say. toned down. <laughs> Just volume down for the. Yeah. What'd uh, you think? I thought it was cool. I I hadn't heard any of that stuff before. Okay, cool. Um, so it was interesting as someone who's listened to the Wonder Years to hear kind of that dynamic. I don't know if you guys do a lot of like acoustic stuff, kind of like for like radio or like. Yeah, we've done a good amount. We did a the last Wonder Years tour. We did a VIP package, and people would come into the show early, and we'd play a whole other set for them acoustic, uh, which was a lot of fun. But that was my first time. Jonah, speaking uh, about, I have a side project now that I think we're, that's really the reason we're here to. I mean, we're just here kind of because you're in town, but yeah, we should. But it's it's called Aaron West and the Roaring Twenties. The record comes out on on July eighth. It's like next week, and uh, that was my first ever showing in public of playing those songs, and I was so fucking nervous. (laughs) I've only played guitar in front of people for one Wonder Years song during acoustic sets. It's the only time I've ever played guitar in public. Um, and so it was really nerve wracking. That's why I was like, did you like it? Please tell me you liked it. Yeah, I was <laughs> really actually, tried the guitar playing was like, I felt like there was a lot of like fast kind of palm beauty stuff. That's like hard to play an acoustic. Yeah. I, uh, the, so my kind of theory about everything in life is that if I'm, if I'm nervous about doing something, instead of being nervous about it, I should work harder and, and get better at it. And then I'll feel better about doing it. So I spent the last month. Every day, I, there's a little enclosed, kind of like indoor-outdoor room at our house, um, a back porch area, but that's kind of also a room. And I have uh, my my snowball mic set up in there, and every day I would come in with my laptop and the FaceTime camera and uh, set up my guitar and play my whole set with banter and tuning and everything included to the camera. And then every day, or every night, before I would go to bed, I would watch my set and self-critique and make notes and come back the next day and try to do it better. Um, and so that was really, I really wanted to get it to the point where I felt comfortable playing. And then that, that show at GK was kind of a, a dress rehearsal for me. My favorite part was like, so we're in this room. It's pretty small. It's like 30 kids there or something. Yeah. We only let 30 people. We did. It was like, uh, I want to do more of them. I, I tweeted. It was like, if you can be in lower Manhattan at 8 PM, email this email if you want to come. And the first 30 people to get the email, get the address, get the address and no one else can know where it is cool. except for Jonah. Except for me. Because you are super super music guy, super music VIP. guy. But yeah, and also I heard there's gonna there's gonna be pizza. So there was like, pizza, yeah. There was pizza, but it's always kids eating pizza. And then Dan's like, uh, "This song's about my wife leaving me," and it's like all these kids so anxious. And I just like that dichotomy of sort of like that content and subject matter with like yeah that audience. Well, yeah, and that was the that's the big thing is uh, I've never been married. It's like character piece um the whole record is from this character's perspective and i thought to really do it justice to play it live i would have to play in character and so all of the banter is kind of loosely scripted and i've rehearsed it a a number of times to really get it to feel as real as i can possibly make it feel and for it to fit 
canonically into the the character. Like right. I want it to be a part of the story, right. um, and to bridge the gaps between songs too. So, nice. uh, yeah, there was a lot of, and I think at first, it, you know, I sat down, and uh, I was like, "My name is Aaron." Oftentimes, I got a, a group of guys with me call themselves the Roaring Twenties, but today, you know, ain't one of them times, and this song <laughs> is what it is. And and I think everyone was like, "That's not your name." <laughs> And then I started telling stories, and people were like, "Did that?" And it took like two songs for people to catch on and be like, "Oh, it's all in character." Right, right, right. That's intense, man. Yeah, it was really fun to do. No, dude, I thought it was all autobiographical. I mean, I knew you had a different name, but I thought all that stuff was true. No, not a single (laughs) word of it is. And that—that was the real goal. The whole project was there's two goals. The goal, goal number one was that when I graduated college a couple of years ago, my dad bought me this really beautiful guitar that I played that set with. It's a gorgeous guitar. And I am a very bad guitar player. And I didn't think that I was worthy of playing it, really. Um, what is it? It's, uh, it's a Martin uh, GPC PA3, like nice. a performance uh, series Martin. And I was like, if I'm going to own this guitar, I'm going to get better. And I decided that the way I would get better would be to write a bunch of songs. And then I was like, well, if I'm going to write a bunch of songs with the Wonder Years, I never want to just uh, kind of get comfortable. I always want to push what I can do. And I was like, if I'm going to write a bunch of songs, then I'm going to use them as an exercise to grow as a lyricist. And I decided that a lot of my favorite records were character pieces uh, or not entire character pieces, but you know, things like uh, Reunion Tour from the weaker thans or all hail west texas from the mountain goats and there's little songs about people that aren't autobiographical and i was i think i should try to do that because wonder your songs are really autobiographical it's uh it's just kind of how they are they're very personal about me and i wanted to expand past that so i started focusing on that goal as well and i had this the the quandary was seems that the reason people like wonder years or one of the reasons people like wonder years is they feel a connection to the lyrics and i always had this um kind of ill-advised and maybe a little egomaniacal assumption that the reason they could relate to lyrics is because they were about me which when i started thinking about it was stupid (laughs) because that in itself seems counterintuitive they can't relate to the lyrics because they're about me they don't know me and they aren't me they can relate to the lyrics because they've had similar occurrences and similar right. themes in their life lives they've had they felt similar emotions and i realized that i had that with every bit of media that i touched you know it, i didn't relate to that hold steady song because i lived that but because i had felt that emotion i don't relate to matt saracen from friday night lights because i played high school quarterback in <laughs> texas i just i felt some of the things he, he's felt right and so i realized that i could create a character and maybe get the same sense of urgency and the same uh real raw emotion out of it if i did it correctly and so that was the the crux of the project was trying to get such a real character and such a developed character in such a fully realized and actualized world that people listening to it could find a way to relate to the songs so did you did you flesh out this character and then start writing or did you like start writing and then build the character around um it was a little bit of a round robin in in that sense so originally it wasn't going to be about one character i was going to write an ep of songs about different characters i had one that was going to be about like an indie pro wrestler and one that was going to be about all these different people and one of them was going to be about a guy going through a divorce and as i got into the song i realized this song wasn't enough time for me to really explore the depth of the character that i wanted to 
And so I was like, well, why don't I write a whole record about this one guy? And uh, then I kind of loosely sketched out the story arc. And then I would go back and think about the character some more and, and do a bunch of free writes and kind of like journal entries in character to try to develop that and, and research and um, use things that I like peripherally experienced in my life. Um, like in the story, his family is very Roman Catholic. My family is culturally Roman Catholic. We that if, if you had to check a box, I guess that's what would come up. And I went to like Bible study classes on Wednesday nights, but we didn't really give a shit either. Right. It's not like we went to church. I don't actually, I still don't know. My parents can't answer the question. I'm like, why did you send me to that? You guys aren't <laughs> religious at all. I'm like, ah, I, we, we wanted you to have a good knowledge base. Um, what were you guys doing on Wednesday nights? That you wanted to be yeah, out like, of the what, house Why did you for? want me out of the damn house? <laughs> uh, so... So I, I kind of had peripherally experienced it and I knew enough about it to write about it convincingly, but it wasn't my life. Right. Or, you know, I needed a hometown and uh, I didn't want it to be from Pennsylvania. And, I, you know, a lot of my really good friends are from Long Island and I know West Babylon pretty well. It's where my tour manager's from. And so I chose West Babylon. So things like that kind of came into play. What was sort of the conversation like with the guys in the Wonder Years? Were you like, listen, I want to do this other thing? thing i mean was that like how did that kind of work well i had, i had started writing it for myself and no one was going to hear it we were never i was never going to record it it was never going to come out so that wasn't a problem originally uh, and then when i decided i just kind of mentioned it to them and my guitar player nick has been doing a solo project called why bother for a while i knew my guitar player matt had been writing songs and it wasn't really an issue because they're uh genre wise don't i don't think really fit with the wonder years and uh, obviously, lyrically, they don't fit with the Wonder Years. It wasn't taking away anything I would write. It's always going to be a secondary thing as far as touring. If I have the option to do one tour or the other, it's going to be a Wonder Years tour. Um, excuse me. Stumped down. Dude, it's intense. It's so good, though. It is good. Uh, so there was never really, a, it wasn't really a problem. The Wonder Years drummer played on it for me, and uh, everybody's been really supportive, which has been awesome. Um, the other thing is when the Wonder Years write songs, it's a, a collective writing process. All six of us have to be present to really make the song what it is. And you're not supposed to write a whole song. If I'm writing a song for the Wonder Years, I'll write maybe a verse and a chorus and bring it in and be like, what do you guys think? And then we'll workshop it and make it a song together. So this was different too in the sense that I got to write the whole thing. That's cool. It's amazing. I mean, it's so you heard it, just me and a guitar on the record. So Ace Enders produced the record uh, okay. of early November fame, and I can make a mess and all the other wonderful things Ace does. He heard the songs on Warp Tour. I had my guitar over at his bandwagon and just played it for him. And he was like, This is, I really like this. I think that you should record it. And I think that I would love to produce it if you're interested and you should actually put it out, which was the catalyst to actually doing the project. And, uh, so, like I said, you heard it with just an acoustic guitar, but the Wonder Years drummer played drums on a lot of the tracks. Some of them are just a guitar, but a lot of the tracks. And Ace was huge in filling it out. He played bass all over the record, keys, uh, lap steel, and banjo. I play harmonica on it, and we had a horn section come in. So it's it's really full on the on the recording. So you kind of got a different experience of hearing the songs the first time. Did you guys tour with Ace, or how did you guys kind of link up uh yeah i know ace from uh we did an early november tour their first tour back 
And okay. he's actually from the same small South Jersey farming town that my girlfriend's family is from, Hamilton, Blueberry capital of the world. Nice. Really? Yeah. <laughs> of the world. That is impressive. And he's got a studio there. And the early November guys were, we really got along like right from the beginning. We're the same kind of people. And uh, Ace and I became very fast friends. So it was great to work with him on it. He, I also think he's a phenomenal songwriter and really made the project come to life. That's cool. Yeah, I know Joe pretty well. I love Joe. He's a good guy. I fucking love Joe Morrow. <laughs> Do you know Holly? I think I've met her His a couple wife, times. She's a sweetheart too. I really like it. They have a. They usually have a barbecue every summer. I don't know when it is this year, but it's always a lot of fun. I like. I like everyone in their friend group. Yeah, I did. I was on tour with. It's a tour with that band Limbeck. Like oh, just really? Kind of for fun, hanging out, and there was a tour that was them early November, Cartel and Newfound Glory. Mm-hmm. You know what? I think I knew that you tore with Limbeck from listening. I never want to just like jump in and do a podcast without knowing like a little bit. So I listened to a few of them, and I think you mentioned it in the one with Forrest. Yeah, it's. De- I'm sure I did. Yeah, I'm sure we mentioned John Cheese and Limbeck. Mm-hmm. And that's good. I wish I did that. Um, <laughs> well, it's funny when we met. Like uh, Dan complimented my name. I love the name. And then like later was like, oh, I'm doing the interview with you. Like I wasn't saying that because I was like, yeah, no, I can tell you're being sincere. It was really funny. I. uh I did Marvel's podcast last week and I was like, oh shit, like I don't, I loved comics when I was younger, but I haven't really been reading comics recently. I don't want to sound like an idiot. So I went out and bought like $60 worth of like the full Gambit collection and read through it. I was like, if I can just convincingly speak on one character that I really (laughs) know front and back, my like, like tertiary knowledge of all the other characters should suffice in like supplanting that i'll be fine right. and that was how did and it, it go it was great yeah <laughs> i had such a good time oh, i love gambit i love gambit that's and, pretty uh, cool homework though like oh, listening absolutely. to forest talk or reading about gambit the problem was that i i went to the comic shop and i bought that was like this like gambit collection i'm like perfect and i got home and opened it and went shit it's volume two <laughs> And volume one wasn't at the store and I had to order it on Amazon <laughs> and then something went wrong with the shipping and it got there like three days before I had to do the podcast. So I had to read like two full trades before this podcast. But again, it was fun homework. Yeah. If St- Steven's not here today, but our- Steven, who normally hosts with us, uh, knows everything about comics. If you ever have a question, <laughs> yeah, give his email. He'll uh, yeah, tell yeah. you everything. My stepbrother did the same thing. Yeah. And he was like, well, you should do this and this and this. I was like, I don't, I'm going to back off, man. I gotta- yeah, yeah. I can handle one thing right now. He knows I got like who the inker is and the colorist. And, um, like, it was it so cool deep. to go. Oh, it was at Marvel headquarters though. So I was walking around. I'm like, this is so dope. Yeah. So much cool stuff. I've here. heard it's awesome. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's over by like, I think like 55th street. Yeah. I've, I've, I know a lot of bands go over there. Um, but yeah, I've heard it's incredible. It was cool. It certainly was. Do you, have you spent a lot of time in New York? Or just yeah, sort of... my girlfriend lives in Clinton Hill, okay. so I'm up here a lot. She is uh, the assistant to the head of men's design and the VP of denim at J. Crew. Okay, gotcha. Um, so she has to live up here, and so when I'm not on tour, I'm up here probably a third of my time. And I really, I mean, I like New York. It can be less convenient, um, which actually I think is the opposite sentiment of a lot of people who live here. Like I'm in the city, and everything's right here. But like dragging my guitar through the subway is so fucking oh, miserable. Yeah. It's a, it's, impo- it's it's so hard to have a band. It's here. the hardest place to be in a band. I'm in a band, and we're most our singer lives here, but three fifths live in uh, Balt, like the DC area. Yeah, you might know the pianos become the teeth guys. Oh, of course I do. Yeah, yeah. So Dave and Zach. Okay. Um. So we practice up there, and it's 
I don't know how people have bands here. I would rather take a bus for four hours and like rehearsal space is so expensive. Mm-hmm. It's like you can't just throw your gear. No one has a car. Oh yeah. It's like it's so yeah, hard. It's, it's so complicated. It was a true, true burden to get my guitar around the other day. Yeah. yeah. You had and two I, guitars, right? <clears throat> or there was uh, another guitar. That back was the in one that's just at the office. Okay, gotcha. Um, but then I was trying to go home and I'm trying to take the G you know, her stop is class and and I'm trying to take the G and uh to the A and it stops at Fulton and then just is stopped. The doors are wide open and the guy's like, There's a disabled train on the tracks, like we're not sure how long it's gonna take. And I wait twenty five minutes, thirty minutes, thirty five wow. minutes, and finally I'm like, fuck this. I'm gonna take an Uber to Penn Station. I go upstairs. No Ubers anywhere close. Right. I guess everyone else on the train right. got to them first. <laughs> So then I had to like walk over to the C and then take that and then take the A and it just sucked. It just because the guitars I have it in like I don't know if you saw the case, but I have it in like a fucking military grade <laughs> ballistics proof super case, <laughs> and it was just such a it's so heavy. You learn pretty quick here to get a really good gig bag. We call it the soft. I feel bag. like yeah. if I had like a Martin, I would be scared someone would like bump into yeah. it. Yeah, oh yeah, that was the thing. Like, you got I good mess bags though. Yeah, for, even for acoustics. Unless yeah, unless unless you just get crushed by a vehicle. Did like, you think about being like, I'm just gonna pull out the guitar and play some songs and try to make some money while I'm waiting? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, I was uh, develop a new character. Like, yeah, <laughs> just do another one right then and there. Do a, do a homeless character. <laughs> I tr- we shot a, a video. Do you guys know Mitch Wojcik? Yes. So Mitch and I shot a video for this project for uh, this song called "Divorce in the American South," and I had this grandiose idea for the concept of it is that it's a like an epilogue to the record. So, or yeah, I guess an epilogue works. Um, so after the, the story arc of the record ends, Aaron comes back to New York and his apartment is still empty. His wife is still not there and the city feels markedly lonely. And he decides he's going to play these songs he wrote while away all over New York in hopes that she'll find him hearing the songs and it'll work out. Uh, that little write-up got cut out of the AV Club post, and it just was the video. But <laughs> in the video, I have, I'm playing the songs in the subway, and it's really nerve-wracking. It was, like, legitimately scary. And we were doing it where people weren't really there, and it was still very... As a guy who plays in front of people for a living, I still was very nervous playing. So I have the subway performers get a lot of credit from me for that. Well, it's like... When you play a show, people at least are there to see you or at least one of the bands on the show. Whereas, like, if you're playing in the subway, like, no one is there to see you. Yeah, I feel like everyone's like, get the fuck out of my way. (laughs) And uh, I didn't want to be the guy in the way. And also, dynamically, it's difficult because it's pretty fucking loud down there. And all the quiet parts, just you don't hear them at all. Yeah, you have to really tailor your... I I knew a guy who who did this intentionally because he wanted to kind of hone his craft. Mm-hmm. And he got a license and played in the subway. And he said, "Yeah, that you, there's a way of like writing, you know, like you got to catch them. It's got to be quick, right? Because people are only there for like thirty seconds or yeah. whatever sometimes. And like you got to kind of pull them in. But then like he talked about the dynamics. That, yeah, there's no, there's no soft parts, man. Yeah, you have to be <laughs> yelling the whole time. Yeah, that's, yeah. I'm gonna, just gonna learn how to break dance on the train. Yeah, it's the movie. Oh, I love that, it. dude. I actually, whenever you hear like." Ladies and gentlemen, I don't mean to bother you on like the A train or something. I'm always like, shit. But then I, it always ends up being cool. Yeah. There's a bunch of two kids that came in, like 12 year old guys, uh, with a boombox and hit play. And I think it was Billie Jean came on. 
And this, the, his brother just went nuts dancing, was using like the, the poles yeah, in the middle yeah, of the subway yeah. and spinning around them and, and doing all these like intricate dance moves as the train's like shifting. Yeah. Like I can't even stand. Yeah. That's really impressive. I fall over standing. I have to be going <laughs> on. You're moonwalking. I yeah. also wonder how they rehearse that stuff because some of it seems so tailored to like where the train stuff is. Yeah, like, where in the oh, car? Yeah, yeah, yeah like on the train, man. And I guess so. To get on Just, an empty train. And yeah, like three in the morning. You're <laughs> yeah. riding like the fucking F somewhere. I don't know. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. I saw a dude doing like backflips, like flip into this like older woman, and she was so pissed the other day. Oh, really? Yeah, but that's the first time I've ever seen that happen. Have Holy you ever shit. gotten someone though that's really truly bad with the dancing? Any of it? Like I had a guy uh, get on that was like uh, he was gonna sing, yeah, and he was just shifting keys, yes. like no idea where yeah. he was. Singing, you get a lot. A lot. Like that was that. a d- very severe disappointment for me. <laughs> I love. I had a like two guys come on again, like eleven, twelve year old kids that had bought a bunch of different snacks like uh individual like boxes but they had like gushers in them or like granola bars and then saran wrapped around the whole thing so they could carry it as one huge thing and they got on and were like ladies and gentlemen i'm me and my brother are selling snacks we're not doing it for no basketball team we're not doing it for no youth center we're selling snacks because we want your money and you want our snacks and i was like <laughs> fuck yeah i do three gushers please <laughs> I love the honesty. Yeah, the honesty is good. Don't yeah. lie to me. Just sell me the snacks. Be honest and you got my money. You know I want that Nutrigrain bar. <laughs> it was perfect. So what's your what? So you you still are based out of Pennsylvania when you yeah yeah, gotcha. yeah and what's that? I mean, I know suburbia is kind of written about about that, but what's what's kind of that situation like? You do you have your own place? Or? Uh, I live with my buddy Richie. Yeah, uh, he is the district tech for Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, he's got this really. Uh, niche skill set of he can repair any arcade game. Like we have a bunch of restored ones in our basement, and it used to no be a hobby. And, uh, he used to do it for people. Like people would be like, I, "I found this Kiss pinball machine. I need it restored." And Richie would do it. Uh, and, and now he makes a crap ton of money. He runs like twelve Chuck E. Cheeses, and he's all over the district repairing all the games. And he bought like a house pretty much flat out, and I just rent a room from him. And it's from great. repairing pinball machines. Yeah, there's probably yeah. so few people. Though, that, I know. Like, I'm sure you could make money. I mean, not just the, the pinball machines are probably the the easiest piece of it. It's like the, you know, you get like an arcade game. There's a lot of electronics to it. And yeah, a lot of things that can go wrong. And then you have 12 stores with 100 plus games in each one, plus the animatronic dancing Chuck E. Cheese and everything. And uh, he used to do it. So he's like hired by just those stores to fix all this their stuff. Yeah, he's hired by the corporate entity that is like right. CEC Entertainment. Um, although I think that they used to be a publicly traded company and they just got bought in entirety uh, by another company. And the guy from Bowling for Soup is the new voice of Chuck E. Cheese, which isn't a joke. That's serious. Really? Yeah. He uh, he wrote like the, the new song, and uh, it's like a they wanted to like hip up Chuck E. Cheese. But they so hip, they, they hipped him right up into the nineties. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like he's wearing like oversized skater shoes and like long dicky shorts. No. And, <laughs> Good for um, him, man. But they, <laughs> so in high school, I used to work at Chuck E. Cheese, and I I won regional best mouse once. I was a really good at dancing at the parties, and. Uh, Richie was like, can you get me a job? I know how to fix these games. But the job you get in high school is undo the coin jams. Wear a referee shirt, right. undo the coin jams. And the tech that was working at the store couldn't fix this game. And Richie walked up and was like, get the fuck out of my way. And just fix the game. <laughs> and he's like, how do you know how to do that? And he's like, I worked at an arcade on the boardwalk when I was like 13. Wow. And uh, then they like a couple months later, they were like, so do you want like a full-time position? <laughs> and he just moved all the way up. 
Is it true? Someone was telling me that, like, maybe we talked about this in the podcast once, that, like, adults can't go to Chuck E. Cheese by themselves? You cannot do that, no. Really? We have a Does system. Does that ever happen? Uh, people would try, yeah. There's a system called Kid Check, and when people are coming in, there's, like, a rotating stamp. Like, you can change the number and letter on it. And every family that comes in gets stamped with uh, ultraviolet ink. And then we have a light that we can check the stamp. So that when you're leaving, I have to check to make sure everyone's stamps match so that you're not taking someone else's kids. Oh. Um, and that you're not leaving without your kids. And if you're trying to come in and Wait, you don't have Did your have stamp a kid, tell how many kids you came with? Uh, you know what? Honestly, I was 19. It's been like almost a decade. <laughs> I don't have like the most distinct memories of it. But I do remember if someone tried to come in without a kid, I'd be like, you can't. And they're like, they would have to, sometimes they'd be like, oh, that's my kid. I'd be like, well, come over All here right. and identify this is your father showing up late. Um, or I just wouldn't let them in. There's a lot of interesting stuff. Like, you know, Chipotle, you can't buy beer unless you buy food. Like, I didn't know that. Yeah. I, I'm like, from Pennsylvania, so you can't okay. buy beer at Chipotle anyway. Oh, really? We have way strict liquor laws. Gotcha. Like, you can't buy beer at, like, convenience stores or anything. There's a very specific kind of thing that can sell you alcohol and PA. And what about strip clubs and beer? Uh, I don't know. I've actually never been in a strip club. They made me really... I'm, I, don't, I don't drink. I don't do bars. Um, yeah, you probably I, I feel really uncomfortable in them. And usually my, like, recourse if I get drugged to one is that I can always shut off an introvert and, like, look at my cell phone. <laughs> And like, I don't know, do a mock draft on Yahoo Fantasy Football or something. Uh, but at a strip club, I've been told you're not allowed to have your phone out so that you're not like videotaping right. strippers. And so, so I would just be sitting there like, one Diet Coke, please. <laughs> Fuck, I get out of here. <laughs> yeah. I don't, it's, uh, you'd be surprised how many people probably do. For a guy <clears throat> who uh, professionally plays loud music for large groups of people in dark places, I fucking hate loud groups or loud music in dark places and large groups of drunk people. I fucking hate it. Nothing makes me more anxious in the world. And it's, dude, that's how bars are here. Like, I feel like every time I go to a bar, it's, the music is so loud. And I'm like, yeah. I can't even oh, talk. Like, my, my ears are ringing. Like, my throat hurts. It's big pet peeve of mine. I have a lot, a lot of friends that have bars, drink, drinking bars, where you just buy beers and shots and they make lots of money at it, but they don't spend any money on their sound systems. They put in these cheap, crappy speakers that all distort at the same frequency that your voice is at, which is like 3K, right? And it's just makes for like noise. Yeah. You know, if you go into a nice dance club where they've spent a million dollars in their sound system, the music can be loud as fuck and you can actually talk because it's like subwoofers and high-end tweeters and it's like... But that's what it is. They're f- they are loud. It's loud It's the, and it's the distortion that gets you. It's just shitty speakers distorting because they're too loud. Yeah, and it's right in the same frequency as your as your voices. The selling point for me, if someone's really trying to convince me to come out to like a bar or something, like my girlfriend would be like, "It's really quiet. I promise you." <laughs> there's or this, the other one is there's no live music. That's another thing when you get like ambushed by like a bad like singer songwriter set from someone like you didn't plan on seeing, and they're gonna cover like Wagon Wheel six <laughs> times. I love Wagon Wheel. I want to hear it six times from this guy. At brunch. <laughs> That's not a thing Dude, that I'm looking for in my it, life. You know, in the early, this is a good story because in the early, you know Manitobas? You know Manitobas. I do. You know who Dick Manitoba is? The Dictators? He's a singer Old for this punk, punk band. band from New okay. York. Anyways, in the early 90s, Dick was, when I first met him, he was bartending at this place on St. Mark's, which I don't remember the name of, but I remember going in there and feeling like it was so pleasant. And it was, I remember it was early, you know, it was like probably like we'd gotten out of a rehearsal, so it was like six or seven. There wasn't very many people there, but I just remember hanging like, this is great. I got to hang. And I met Dick, and he's one of these guys that just like 
gives you knowledge, you know. He was like the old rocker guy. Um, and I loved it. And it took me like three times going back there before I realized there was no fucking music. Yeah. He didn't even have a stereo in there. And the place was filled with musicians. Every band went there straight from rehearsal because it was like they could go in there and be away from music and just talk. And he never he never got a sound system. It was I like, wouldn't, that's my dream bar. It was like, but like, there's no, I've never been in another bar like that ever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a, when, we, when you get to a venue, you're loading in. And then the sound guy starts blasting death metal. I'm like, are you <laughs> fucking with me right now? The last thing I want is to listen to music right yeah. now. That's my whole day every day. When I get on the the bus at night, eight out of ten times I put a podcast on if I'm listening to something. Right. I just I don't want to listen to any more music. I've had enough for the day. My favorite bar in Philly when I used to live in South Philly was this place, the Royal Tavern, because it was somewhat well lit. Never crowded. The food was good, and they would quietly play the Smiths. That was all I needed. Just really quiet, somber music while I eat my nachos. Sounds great. I feel like whenever I was there, I was like, got dragged to like Tattooed Moms or something. Yeah, or like somewhere on South Street. That was just crazy. We went to Tattooed Moms for my bass player's birthday last week because he wanted to go to a place that could accommodate a lot of people. And uh, we were in there, and it's fine. And my girlfriend gets up off of her stool and was like. Oh, holy shit. And everything there is written on. There was just one of your lyrics all over this stool. <laughs> That's no really weird. That is really weird. It's an unexpected thing. What are some of your favorite podcasts? Uh, I love Marin's podcast. Um, I listen to that a lot. I love the NFL Around the League podcast. Okay. Uh, I really like Grantland has a podcast called Cheap Heat. It's like a pro wrestling one that I like to listen to a lot. And on that tip, also, Cole Cabana and Steve Austin and Jim Ross all do good wrestling podcasts, but it kind of depends on the guest. And sometimes I'll also just go on and like look for a particular, like, I want to hear a podcast with Jerry Seinfeld, who did a podcast with him. Right. Um, and I notice a lot of the times that the Nerdist has a lot of really great guests, but I don't really like, was it Chris Hardwick? Yeah, it's Chris Hardwick. I think that he can be really hit or miss, but the one he did with Aziz Ansari is one of my favorites. He really, that was an awesome one. Um, but yeah, I think the the most listened to ones are Cheap Heat, which again is the wrestling one, and Around the League, which is the NFL one. Do you know uh, Adam Vast? <clears throat> I do. Because we had him on, uh, and we talked about wrestling a lot. He's very knowledgeable about oh, that. Oh, yeah. And it was interesting because- I love a good time. Like, Adam and I can hang out and just talk wrestling for a while. Yeah, it was interesting because I was, I like, it was kind of a hard thing for me to take seriously, but then we was talking about kind of the art and the skill and, oh, like, yeah. all that stuff. I was like, actually, like, there's much more to this than, like- Yeah, there's a really gorgeous artistry to it. It's a uh, very, I mean- if done correctly, there's a lot of very delicate balances that need to be struck for these characters to have the right inflection to do the right things and to get the right shears. You're playing to an audience of 15,000 people a night, and to get as many of them to like-mindedly love or hate you, which is even more of an artist to get them to hate you correctly for the right reasons. If you're getting... There's a couple kinds of... You can get like heat, which is good. If you're a bad guy, you want heat. But then there's a, a joke, it's like this long-standing thing, is you call it X-Pac heat, and it's heat for the wrong reason. It's heat not because you're a bad guy, but because they just don't like you in the way that you wrestle and the way that you talk. Um, and so it, it's, there's a real artistry to getting the right kind of heat and to getting the right kind of pop. There's, so, there's bad guys that are so likable that they get cheered, which is not good either. Um, and there's, yeah, there's, so there's very subtle things that go into being a great professional wrestler. And uh, 
I was actually right before I walked in was texting our, our buddy um, is Seth Rollins and he won the Money in the Bank briefcase last night and he's awesome at it. He transitioned. He just transitioned from a baby face to a heel and he's getting nuclear heat. It's awesome. <laughs> didn't some didn't weren't you guys on that episode of Warped Roadies? Wasn't there some kind of wrestling? Oh yeah, thing? yeah. Our uh, our tour manager and the bass player of the Swellers had this like fake obviously fake but they had a wrestling rivalry and they would like wrestle each other and it had happened like the second day of warp tour and people were so like holy shit like the whole warp tour had run around at the barbecue to watching them fight and ended with one of them getting like suplexed into a dumpster <laughs> and everyone was so hype about it people thought it was real too like i think kevin had to be like what the fuck is happening is there like a real fight and uh from there we were like well, we got to keep doing this <laughs> And we were friends with the people that shot Warped Roadies, and they were like, this is awesome. So much of the time that they spend shooting is like, and it's raining. <laughs> and the tent blew over. <laughs> right. And we're out of catering. <laughs> so they were excited to have you know, something that's a lot of fun and different. The barbecues have always traditionally just been like, everyone's drunk. Look how crazy it is. Right. But we're not party guys. It's not a thing that my band really does so much. And so this was a really fun thing that we could put together and they had a bunch of matches and we would, uh, Warped Ready's had us cutting promos on stage and uh, the Swellers like cut one on us and then I cut one on the Swellers, but to like 4,000 people that were like, yeah, fuck the Swellers. <laughs> and I was trying to be like, but they're our friends. Like I, can't, I have to like really, for the cameras, I had to play the line. Like we really hate the Swellers and John and like we're the underdogs and Anto's like, you know, this like pompous asshole and John's gonna, you know, for all the freaks and all the nerds, John's gonna win this for us. Like he's our champion. And uh, <clears throat> I remember I, I, there was one part that was like, like, Anto, I know you think you're better than everyone, but it's not about your haircut. It's not about your t-shirt. It's not about your good looks or your smile. It's about what's in your heart. And like those whole crowds like, yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> it was a really amazing. difficult line to walk. <laughs> That is so funny. It was fun. It was a really high, a big highlight of Warp Tour for a lot of people. It had a couple of really huge, like marquee matches where we would have hundreds of people in a circle around the two of them, and then they would break out of the circle and wrestle all over the warped grounds. Like the one of them, one of them was in Ventura and it ended in the ocean, and <laughs> one was in Boston and it ended on one of the stages that stays up, like the permanent stage of the Boston Warp Date. They were a lot of fun. <laughs> After the first one, John, who won both matches, said, next time, ice cream for everyone. And so we bought like 10 five-gallon drums of ice cream and hid them by that stage. And when John got the win, he said, last time I promised ice cream, this time there's ice cream. And we dumped like gallons of ice cream everywhere. Uh, had to clean it all up. Kate was mad at us. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun, though. That is funny. Yeah, I used to work on the tour, but like 10 years ago, and it's so funny to like see like Kate and Lisa and all those people. Lisa's been on the podcast before. Yeah, yeah. Still doing it. It's cool. They're great. Oh, we love the people that work for Warp Tour. I've only had good experiences with the whole crew. Well, it's been interesting because um, I don't know if you've seen all this stuff about like there not being sort of enough women on Warp Tour has been sort of like this big thing like a lot of people have been writing about lately. Yeah. And it's been interesting to me because I'm like, all these women basically run the tour. Yeah, like it's, that's, if it was a sexist tour, I feel like there wouldn't be. This. It's also a fine line to walk. I remember I read the article, um, kind of casually. I, I didn't do a, a deep, thorough reading of it, which 
I probably should, but I remember it mentioned things like, you know, like Swearin' or Wax Hitachi should do the Warp Tour. I don't think that if Kevin asked them to do it, they would. It's, I mean, right. I just don't think that they would find any value in doing the tour. So I don't think, I think that just saying there should be more women on the tour is kind of short-sighted. And there's a lot of things that go into creating the Warped lineup and the balance. And there's a huge, 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 huge sum of money on the line, a massive sum of money. And he has to very carefully and very meticulously book this tour to not only appease to all social things, but there's a monetary aspect to it as well and a political aspect. It's not like he he does handpick all of the bands, right? But he can go to a label and say, okay, Hopeless Records, we have a spot reserved for you. What band would you like on it? Uh, and he goes to every agent and says, hey, every agent, what bands do you want to submit for the tour? He doesn't go out and find all these bands. They're brought to him. Right. And then he makes his choices from from there. So... That ratio could be very could very well be skewed. Kevin is very specifically not a sexist man. Uh, I've spent a good amount of time with him, with his family, with his daughter, and I know that it was the article really painted him in a very negative light. And I think that he felt attacked throughout it. That's that was the vibe I got from reading it. Um, and I understand why he did because he's he's a really really great guy. And I think that uh, to just blindly attack him when you don't have a working knowledge of how that tour or probably any tour gets put together is uh, is short-sighted. I thought his response was actually good, though. He was like, you seem like you have cool taste in music. You should start your own tour. Is that what he said? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and there are there a lot of great bands on the tour with women in them. And, uh, but it's a, I think if he wanted to really get a lot of female artists on the tour, he would have to break out of the genres that, encompass the tour well that's the which point. would affect attendance negatively you, um, you make a tour that's based on a genre of music that's generally populated by that's that's male dominated <clears throat> and i don't think white that it's, male dominated yeah really. and i don't think that it's good that it's white male dominated um but you know the bands have to be able to draw a certain amount of people and i think it says a little bit more about the fan base than it does about the promoter he's trying to work he could get in trouble for anything there's not enough classical music on the warp tour yeah well it's interesting. i mean is there a classical music stage because i really like classical music i feel like <laughs> it's hard it, it, it i want to be you know and i want to call it as down the middle as i can right but knowing kevin and knowing what a great guy he is and uh and what a great thing he, he tries to do for the community i mean certain things like we were there was uh this superfluous amount of these really misogynist shirts that were being sold by all these really shitty bottom of the barrel scum of the fucking earth clothing lines that just like print up a bunch of shirts that say like you're a fucking slut and then go on warp tour and peddle them to 15 year olds uh, and uh and we would go on stage and, and say fuck that and kevin would applaud us for it and actually sometimes it would kick people off the tour if we brought his attention to certain things like uh or like ban certain shirts or ban certain merch items and i think he's got a you know he really tries to to be a fair judge of that kind of thing as well. And it's all, even when I was on, I remember like Boy Sets Fire was on and like the Navy was recruiting and they were like, this is bullshit. We're like against this. And it's like, whether. And, like, and he'll let you say that. Yeah. He's, you're not going to get kicked off the tour for saying exactly. that kind of thing, which is really great of him. Exactly. Um, yeah. I, we, we've had our, our fair share of battles with those like companies like that on the tour. That's so crazy. Yeah. That definitely didn't exist when I was on it. Like there was nothing like that. Yeah, I mean, it's just people that found a way to make a, a quick buck and they're trying to exploit a young, impressionable fan base of people. They're like, and they'll, 
they're really uh, harsh and really aggressive with it. And they'll uh, the drummer of Saves the Day and I got into like a, a, a big argument with the guy because he was grabbing people and stamping them. Like the clothing company had like a stamp. And they would stamp everybody's arms all over with this thing. He was grabbing people and be like, here, get your stamps. And this like really young girl was like like 14, 15 years old and was like, no, 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 don't stamp me. And he was really like shaming her about it. It was like, well, you want to be fucking lame? Like, fuck you then. What? And Dennis and I happened to be walking by and we we're like, fuck you, man. And like really <laughs> got into it with this guy where to the point where I was like, I think we're going to get in like a fist fight with this clothing line. It ended up diffusing after a while, but it was that really – those people don't belong on the tour. They don't belong in that part of the community. And no, then, not at all. No. Um, how happy are you to be in air conditioning right now? Oh, I'm July? elated. Yeah. Elated. <laughs> As always. Uh, I don't mind a, a, a nice nice day in the sun, but this is wonderful. This whole place is so cool. Uh, I didn't know that it was here. It's not. It's really close to where Ali's apartment is. Yeah, yeah, right off the G. Yeah. We, uh, I think we took... Uber here just because big picture covers it, but otherwise we would have definitely <laughs> taken the cheap train right here. <laughs> so what's sort of the plan for the this project? I mean, are you going to be touring or? I am. So I'm doing, but it, again, it's it fits into these small gaps. So I'm doing in store starting tomorrow, uh, and then I'm doing Warp Tour next week on the acoustic basement stage, which I think is the coolest thing. Uh, have you seen that? Have you been to Warp Tour since they set that up? I think it did. Jeff play on that? Yes. Okay. So Brian Marquis uh, of Therefore I Am fame came to Kevin and said, we should do an acoustic stage. There's a lot of that kind of content and, and we make it look like, you know, it's in a tent and the stage is real small. It's really low to the ground. And it's like a basement show. And uh, I've wanted to play it for a while and now I finally had the opportunity. So I'm going to be doing the acoustic basement stage all next week. And then the Wonder Years are doing Reading and Leeds. And while we're over there, I'm going to do a show right outside London and Kingston. Uh, and then I'm going to try to do one of yours to do in Australia. I'm going to try to get one in them. And we're doing a fall tour in the U.S. It just, it's not announced yet. But during that fall tour, I'm going to do a couple of Southern California shows. And then I also have confirmed dates in December, but I can't announce them yet because I'm support. It's not a headline run for me. And that's what's planned now. But I really enjoy getting the chance to play like this. And I want to do more of those secret shows. It's a cool chance for me to get back to like, I'm going to go play this house tonight and just for fun. And I'm going to do it and no one can, it doesn't, Wonder Years can't go play a house show. It gets like really dangerous. Like the last couple we did were like, someone's going to get very hurt and this house is going to get very destroyed and someone's going to get very arrested. <laughs> uh, but now I have the opportunity to go do that again with this project and I'm excited about that too. That's cool that you can sort of have both of those kind of existences at the same time. Yeah, it's fun. I'm, I, I think, I'm trying to remember the last, we even tried, this was years ago, tried doing like a house show in West Philly where we announced it like that morning and it was still like like 200 more people than should have been there. And I was like, this is very dangerous. Uh, but I like the idea that I can do that again and I'm going to try to do some of that. I saw Against Me play a house show right before I moved and... Two songs in, they had to evacuate the house because someone was like, I went in the basement and like the beams were like bending. Yeah. Like everyone has to leave. We, I remember doing one at this place in South Carolina and this was before the Upsides even came out. Like Our band was not very big. We were on tour with Fireworks who were roughly the same size and it was this place called House of Hardcore and uh, we get in and we're like, are you sure this is going to be cool? There are a lot of people here. And it's like this kind of front room in the house. Like, no, it's cool. The walls are all concrete so no, nothing can get bashed in. 
except for the ceiling, which got destroyed because people were, they set up a cinder block. I'm like, what's that cinder block for? And like stage dives. And they, people would run out of the kitchen, jump off the cinder block and land <laughs> on everyone and just kick holes in the ceiling. They had to, they opened the front two windows and there was this big porch in the South and uh, everyone would stand, people would stand on the porch to watch. They would watch into the windows. It was one of the more dangerous shows I think I've ever played. I was like, this can't, we probably can't do this anymore. Jesus. <clears throat> it was uh, sketchy, sketchy to say the <laughs> least. A lot of bad, a lot of things can happen. A lot of liability there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of bad stage dives, too. Oh, yeah. So many <clears throat> where like, they don't get enough yeah. height. They're just going into people's faces. Yeah. And... Sounds like a good way to break your ankle. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like. I feel like now when I go to shows, I'm so far away from... If there's, like, a seat, I'm like, oh, my God, thank you. Oh, yeah. Like my back hurts. Like. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm trying to, like, sit at a table and watch the Mountain Goats play. Like, yeah. That's my goal. <laughs> and even when I'm on... I love, I, I love like, the energy and when I'm on stage, and I'll still jump into the crowd a lot, and I love it when kids do it, but I'm, like, a, a concerned parent now. <laughs> I'm always like, oh, watch your head. Okay. <laughs> like, I end up, if there's, like, no barricade, I end up spending half the set, like, trying to catch people before, like, their head hits yeah. the stage and, like, like, like holding people back. Like, he stage dives first and then it's your turn. <laughs> Don't go at the same time. That guy's going to get hurt. Don't jump there. That's a very, like, a group of very small people that you're going to hurt. <laughs> You got to go over this way. That guy can hold your weight. Uh, <laughs> don't jump feet first. Don't jump feet first. Why do you keep doing it? <laughs> like, we'll have to, like, eventually ban people. <laughs> like, you're not allowed to dive anymore. You jumped feet first you're twice. You're not diving. It's not diving. That was too straight. You don't get another strike. <laughs> you want to jump. You maybe front flip or let you want to disperse your weight. <laughs> you should just hire someone just to kind of, like, coach people that. through yeah. it. Yeah, kind of like the, you know, the, what do you call it? The MC or the, the bus. What do you call it, guy? Like guy, like a ska band, just dances. God, I don't know, dancing guy, <laughs> dude guy? from the, the guy, Boston. the Boston. Yeah. I think they just called him the guy. It used yeah. to be kind of a thing, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard. It's it's like I feel like I'm conducting traffic sometimes. <laughs> um, and then we started doing a thing where people would get on stage at the very end of a song and then be stuck there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we we always have. Uh, we stop everything. We have no music stage dive time, and then we have like run up music for them. It's like a fast drum roll, and they get to dive <laughs> off the stage and not look like a weirdo that's stuck up there. <laughs> but what I, you know, I fucking hate it, and every band hates this. So this is not a thing. This is like a, if you're listening to this, don't do it. Don't get on stage with your phone and try to grab the singer and take a picture uh. for a number of reasons. One. Because you're selfish. Because there's a thousand other people in the room that are trying to watch a show that you're stopping from happening effectively. Two, because you're stopping the flow of the stage diving that's going on. And so immediately you're putting people in danger because you've stopped how it was working. It's like a very delicate ecosystem. (laughs) Uh, And three, if you hold me in place, there's a large chance that I'm going to get run into by someone else. I have to be able to kind of stick and move on stage (laughs) to dip and dodge around that. It just seems like such a selfish thing to do. And I don't mind taking pictures with people. Just let me let let me put on a, the best performance that I can possibly put on for this crowd. And then also, obviously, the, and this was talked about a lot last week. Don't don't try to kiss someone on stage. Why would you do that? <laughs> That's such a terrible idea. <laughs> I never had that. Th- I when I was a kid, I never even wanted to meet the people in the bands. I was afraid of that idea. I never thought that I should run up and try to grab Chris Connolly or like see if Matt Pryor will take a picture with me while he's playing the fucking song. 
Yeah, I guess it's just, I don't know if it's generational. It's very strange. Yeah, it Uh, is very strange. And I think I'm a little too old to really like fully grasp the reasoning behind it. But I know that, I know that my goal is to play a really good show, put on the best show I can put on for everyone in the crowd. And uh, that I get annoyed when people put themselves in front of that in order of importance. Like I'm more important than this whole show and I will take advantage of that. Also, I want to add one. I know we're wrapping up, but... You don't need that photo. If you're super far away from the stage, your photo's going to suck. You don't need to hold up your phone for like 10 minutes taking pictures, like, so I can't see. Yeah. And if you have the flash on, they're all just going to be, like, washed out. It's incredible. Like, I love watching people take pictures. I'm like, seriously, this is a picture you're taking? Yeah. Like, this you know, is- it's actually a thing, and people don't know this. If, you're, if you have your iPhone out, and you have it up looking at the stage, and the stage is too dark, don't turn the flash on. Tap the stage on your phone, and it's going to adjust the exposure so that the stage is brighter and you can see everything. You just have to tap the right spot, and the the iPhone will adjust for you. Yeah, tap the spot. photo tips. Tap yeah. the right spot. Take one photo, <laughs> and that's it. Super yeah, photo tips. You know, just people want to see the show behind you. Yeah, people want to see the show behind you. No selfies on stage, and tap the the photo. And don't even think about bringing an iPad. Oh God! Don't <laughs> get a, me started. What a weird thing! <laughs> I, you know what? Now I feel like I said things that like someone listening to this feels really bad. So no, I don't, if you're bringing an iPad and taking photos with it at a show, you should feel bad. I don't want to, but I don't want anyone to have, have to feel. <laughs> that's like a thing. It's a thing I grapple with because I want everyone to be happy at the show. Uh, and sometimes uh, there's uh, right, but I feel I'll like, be the bad. Guy I feel like employing no. like I feel like all this stuff like we talk about a lot. Like there's it's so new that there's no etiquette to it. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't think you should feel bad if you've done this in the past and you're listening to this. I think you should learn from that experience and now know that the band and rest of the audience doesn't necessarily appreciate it. And that if, if you want a picture, we'll take a picture later. Yeah, I think that's and fair. And if you want to stage dive, don't dive feet first. People's faces are down there. That's uh, and you. Yeah, you can hurt somebody. <laughs> yeah, I think that's very diplomatic. Things like that. Yeah. yeah, and if you feel if you felt bad, you can blame that on me and Brad. I feel like we are just don't yeah. get, don't I'll be get the bad so, guy. too caught up in your past transgressions. Just try to make progress as a person every day. That was Dan Gamble. I forgot how to talk for a second. <laughs> Well, you did, you know, there was a lot of talking going on there, so. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's not normally just me and Brad doing these. I feel like it's always, like, just super funny. I feel like we just kind of stare at each other. <laughs> I feel like Steven usually really takes the lead on this, but I think we're doing a good job. Yeah, I want to just give us a little pat on the back. Yeah, so, um, yeah, that was Dan Campbell. Definitely. Um, not to say we don't terribly miss Steven. No, we always miss Steven when he's not around, even when it's just throughout the day. But um, yeah, check out The Wonder Years. Check out Aaron West and The Roaring Twenties. Which should be out as of yesterday. Yeah, just came out. So get it while it's hot. Ooh. And uh, <laughs> if you like this podcast, um, leave us a nice comment on iTunes. Check us out. on We're on Twitter going off track. Facebook going off track. Um, check out our website. Um, listen to other episodes. Share them with your friends, start a discussion group. Start a podcast talking about our podcast. Start a meta podcast called Going On Track. (laughs) That's about what you think of the episode. Hopefully you like this one. And um, yeah, UN Record dropping July 15th. Check out uh, Sound Advice. Check out my writing. Check out Brad's artwork. (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't know where you can see that, but I'm sure it's, it's. I picture you doing watercolors. There's a lot of doodles on my on the pad by my desk. I saw that. Yeah. Check out Brad's doodles. Maybe we'll upload some of them if we get enough enough requests for it. <laughs> if we get any requests for it. <laughs> so request that and uh, yeah, I'm gonna we'll, request it. Yes, Brad, request it <laughs> yourself. We, we're not going to verify it, so just do it. Uh, and we will see you next week. 